Good evening slash good morning, Los Angeles. This is Daniel Adrian, deacon at branchofhope.org. You are now listening to Apologetics.com. The Apologetics.com radio show is, as was said, brought to you by Apologetics.com. And today's episode is brought to you particularly by Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California. We are 100% listener sponsored. We would love for you to support us. Uh, Branch of Hope happily sponsors this portion. Uh, We have many listeners in our congregation. We'd love to have you come and worship with us. Pastor Paul Vigiano, who also has the Branch of Hope radio show on this same station. I believe it's the Lord's Day Sunday, 10 a.m. is when his episode airs. Uh, He's the minister over there. He's the pastor, and we'd love to have you. And every week he does Q&A that he preaches, and you can ask him any questions. And He's been very uh, formative in many of our apologetics journeys. He's been very helpful for me in learning more and more about apologetics. But anyway, I'm Daniel, and I've got Cole in the booth, and it's good to be with y'all. Tonight's going to be kind of tough. It's providentially, perfectly providential that uh, the matter of life was actually mentioned before before we came to air. Uh, the program that Salem Communications has put out, because we will be talking about the Dobbs decision tonight and what that means for the church. Uh, The Dobbs decision, also known as Dobbs versus Jackson or Dobbs State Health Officer of the Mississippi Department of Health at all versus Jackson Women's Health Organization at all is a 213-page, I believe, decision from the Supreme Court. Uh, Why are we talking about this? Well, as has been said by many, people are regarding this as an overturning of Roe v. Wade. And there's certainly a sense, a legal sense, in which that's true. Let me just read to you from the syllabus. This is obviously it's 213 pages or so, so we're not going to go through the whole thing. I only have an hour, sadly. But we do see on the first page under the syllabus that what was held is that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey, these are the previous relevant decisions about abortion, are overruled. There you go. That's what you've heard a lot. And the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. And then you read pages 8 through 79 on that matter. So I've heard a lot of people in the church and outside of the church, uh, particularly on the right, but from all over kind of celebrating this as a great victory and being grateful to God. And there's been services of Thanksgiving. And certainly we should thank God for all of his dealings with us, uh, every single one of them, whether we view them as good or bad. uh, We should praise him. Everything that comes from his fatherly hand is a good gift to his people. However, there's a there's did anyone catch the problematic nature of the end of what I read there? Is there any problem you heard? And by the way, this is a great show to call in on. (laughs) They're all great to call in on. But if you want to discuss this or anything else, anything related to defending the faith, uh, anything uh, kind of related to casting down arguments, vain arguments, uh, and deceiving sort of strongholds of ideas and ideologies and philosophies, vain philosophies of the world, please call in. And our number to do that is 888-995-5552. We also have a YouTube page, a Facebook page. You can connect with us many other ways, uh, and we would love for you to do that. However, as we talk about this, I want to go back to that sentence. Uh, The last clause, right before they give you the the heavy reading material that you need to do if you want to read the justification for what they held, which is, and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. 
So we must ask ourselves is what we always must ask ourselves is, you know, it's the the Sabbath school, the Sunday school question and answer, right? Who really has authority here? Do we have the authority to regulate abortion? And let's let's zoom in on that really quick. What is abortion? Well, abortion is what we kind of politically and legally, that's how we politically and legally describe the act of baby murder, the act of infanticide. So what it is, is it's a really sort of clinical, uh, technical way of describing going into a mother's womb and murdering her child. That's what we're talking about. So if I put it that way, if, if, if I take away the sanitized language, then does this sound does this sound good? Does this sound like something we should be super stoked, super excited about? And the authority to regulate murdering babies in their mother's wombs is returned to the people and their elected representatives. I think we've got work to do. I think the pro-life movement is just beginning. I don't I don't think this is the end. I don't even think this is a uh, a halfway point. I think we have, if we're really going to claim to be pro-life, if we're really going to claim to love all life, then this is not the kind of victory that I've heard even professing Christians talk about. So let's justify this from the scriptures, right? Let's prove this out from the scriptures, because the standard here on apologetics.com, certainly the standard of our church at Branch of Hope, is the word of God. Right. It's God speaking to us in his word. It's not nature. It's not science. And God doesn't contradict himself. Right. All true science, all true knowledge comes from God. He doesn't speak out of one side of his mouth and then the other. So what we're taught in nature is, if it's true, from God, who is the God of truth. And Jesus himself is the truth. Remember, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one cometh to the father but by me. Right. He is the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. So, of course, we love truth. We love truth that comes to us from any any avenue. That's why I was trying to be careful earlier when I talked about vain philosophy, false philosophy, right? Lying philosophy, because Christ is <laughs> he is the wisdom of God. So, of course, if we're lovers of wisdom, philosophia, right? Philo, love, Sophia, wisdom, we're a lover of Christ. So the true philosophy is the love of Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God. All that to say, what does Jesus say about abortion? What does the Father say about the abortion? What, is the Holy, what did the Holy Ghost move and inspire and cause the hands of men to write about abortion, about what we now call abortion? That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So a nice, easy, non-controversial topic <laughs> for us to just settle into and relax. But you've seen, why is this so controversial? Well, what's controversial is we become pro-death as a culture and a society. We're not pro-life, we're pro-death. So we've overturned the will of God through our courts. And a lot of us, since the decision in 73 or whatever it was, we're not happy about this. We've not been happy about this for 49 years. But uh, because we're encouraged to press onward and we have to finish the race, I need to really exhort all of you. I need to reach out to you and plead with you that this is not the end of the race. We did not cross the finish line. We didn't break the tape, right? You see the finishing of the race where they break through that finishing tape. We didn't do that. Why not? Well, let's go to the Bible. Uh, I think we should start with God making us. If you have your copies of God's word, please turn with them, with me in them, excuse me, to Isaiah. We'll start with Isaiah 44. We're going to look at Isaiah 44, verse 24. Hear now the word of the Lord. 
Thus saith the Lord, Jehovah, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. He goes on to say why he's the most powerful, he's all-powerful, why he's the one to listen to, why he will judge the wicked. But he says he's formed you from the womb, all of you, everyone, me, everyone. And of course, if you know your Bible, you know this has to be the case. But let's continue. If you turn 20 chapters later, roughly, to Isaiah 64 and verse 8, and remember, God only needs to say say something once. So if he's going to reiterate it, and if it's going to be throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we better pay careful attention. Hear now the word of the Lord, verse 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. All, all are the work of his hand. So it's not the church only who was created by God. Obviously, if you understand anything about the natural world, anything about science, then you know that there was a creator. There is a creator. He continues to be a creator. And he's not just a creator. He's a sustainer. He's the one who's keeping everything going, working, right? All things consist, hold together by the word of his power. That's Christ. Christ is the creative word of the Father. He is the word sent from God, John 1. And in John 1, we're taught very explicitly that he created everything. And throughout John, this is reiterated. So it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit creating. Early on in Genesis, we're going through Genesis in Torrance, California, in a Bible study. Uh, Genesis 1 through 11, we'd love to have you reach out, uh, come bring your unbelieving friends. But uh, early in Genesis, the Spirit, very early, I think it's verse 3, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters of creation. They're Trinitarian work. All these things are a Trinitarian work. But he didn't create the world for the animals, and he didn't create the world for, I don't know, aliens or anything else. He created the world for himself. Sure, he does all things for himself, to glorify himself, to bless himself, to love himself, to be loving towards himself. But he's the, he's the perfect object of his own perfect love. But what did he, why did he create the world? He created the world so that we would be his image, that we would be his image and likeness. All human beings are God's image and likeness. Not some, not not the good ones. There are no good ones. We'll get to that. But all are the image and likeness of God. Men, women, children, infants, babies, pre-born, the pre-born. So one of the things that we need to talk about and we need to remind ourselves is Everyone was a baby murdering civilization and culture until Christianity. Christianity literally invented hospitals and orphanages to save those children who were being left out to die. That's our heritage. That's that's what Western civilization, that's what Eastern civilization, that's what all civilization should be. It should be committed to the saving of infant life all the way to the end of life for our elderly, right? God cares about the weakest among us. That principle never existed before the Bible. That's a that's that's an Old Testament and a New Testament idea, caring for the weakest among us. Every other culture you study, every other civilization, every other history that you look at, you'll find that the weakest get killed. They get done away with in the name of eugenics, you civilizational advancement, right? Making the civilization better. 
That's the kind of pro-death culture and society that we've been embroiled in. That's what we're fighting against. So, of course, not only is the reversal of Roe and the reversal of any, any of these abattoirs of human beings, these human slaughterhouses, not only the closing of those things, not only the righteous and justice of God being visited upon those who would destroy the weakest among us, not only all that, but anything that would tend towards the harm of human life, anything. Right. And we're going to prove that. Let's go. I talked about Genesis a little while ago. Let's go to Genesis. Right. Image and likeness. It's not me. Don't don't take my word for it. Go to Genesis one in your Bible. And go to and turn to verse 27 in your copies of God's word. Sorry, 26. And God said, remember, this is God speaking here. Now the word of the Lord. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So we're not just here to wait it out and... Uh, hope for the best and buckle up and kind of ride a sinking ship into the ocean's waves. We're here to take dominion over the earth in the name of Jesus Christ. The meek shall inherit the earth. What, what unbeliever have you ever met who's meek? I mean, I know some are meeker than others, but as a rule, you're, there's a lot of arrogance and a lack of humility and a lack of meekness and a lot of high-mindedness amongst the unbeliever. Certainly when I was not believing, I was not humble. I was not meek. I had a very high view of myself. I had a very high view, or I was very arrogant in how I spoke and how I presented myself. So what we need to do here is we need to really zoom in on the root of your being made in the image and likeness of God, and that this applies to all human beings. Remember, you saw it move from the singular, Adam, the man who is, you know, man of mankind, Adam, the first man, to them, the plural. So all of his descendants were all descended from Adam. Again, a lot of basic rehearsal, right? We're little reminders of what we're doing here. But everyone is descended from Adam. And then everyone's descended from Noah after God judges the earth in a flood of water. So we're all descended from one pair, one family. That's where we come from. And we're, therefore, we're all made in the image and likeness of God. This is the solution to the problem of baby murder. This is the solution to the problem of human dignity. Why are humans dignified? Why do they have dignity? Why do they have inherent worth and value? Especially now that we know that what happens, we know later in the story, I hope all of you know, some of you know, maybe most of you know, what happens later is Adam falls, Adam transgresses, Eve transgresses, they sin, they break the commandment of God, and they're cast out of the garden. So where does that dignity rest? Where does that lie? That, that inherent value, that dignity, that worth is from God. Because we're his image. We are his image and likeness. That's where it comes from. So there's your solution to social unrest about racism. How can you be racist if we're all made in the image of God and in his likeness? You can't hate someone else who's equally the image and likeness of God. There's your answer to sexism, right? Because how can I hate a woman or a woman hate a man if we're equally made in the image and likeness of God, which we just read? 
Of course, of course, we have to acknowledge this. This is the solution to ageism, which this is the root of abortion. The, the root of baby murder is ageism. It's, oh, well, it's not important enough to, as a human life. No. And that's that's also the root of what they horrifyingly call and blasphemously call, by the way, mercy killing, euthanasia, good killing of people, good death. Thanos. We know that from Marvel now, right? No, 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 no. And Thanatos death no 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 you can't kill the image and likeness of god for convenience and there's the connecting point between euthanasia horrifying word and abortion horrifying word baby murder and the murder of the elderly it's for convenience it's because we don't like dealing with weaker people doesn't this sound like eugenics didn't we fight a world war over this this is the task to overcome this, and of course we can't do it in our own strength. Of course, I can't do this in the flesh. None of you can. No one can. The most powerful political activist ever made, God ever gave the earth, couldn't do this on his own and in his own strength. This is a work of Christ that's going to be done by his people. His people are his church. This is what the church is going to do. The church is going to teach the world where human dignity comes from. The church is going to bear witness to the reality that your human dignity, your inherent worth and value comes from being created in the image and likeness of God. So a lot of us hopefully should still remember, and there's still courthouses in this land where you can see it, the sixth commandment. You might not have them memorized in order, but you, if you look at number six in a courthouse or if you have a copy of the Ten Commandments, what does it say? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder is how a lot of people will, will say it, right? They'll render it that way. So, of course, there's killing. There's plenty of killing in the Bible. In fact, that's one of the attacks on the scriptures. So we know that there's righteous killing and there's unrighteous killing. Righteous killing is that which, do, that which is done justly, right? I can defend my life. I can defend the unborn. I can defend the elderly. I can defend them even if, the, if there's an imminent threat, even unto lethal force. We're not talking about people who would murder abortion, quote-unquote, doctors. We'll get to that, too. What a... I mean, <laughs> Christ is the great physician. That should tell you how abhorrent, how, how abominable the idea that a doctor who is supposed to swear first do no harm would murder or help to murder an infant in the womb. Again, the least among us, the weakest, right? God has chosen the weakness of the world to show forth his strength, right? The foolishness of the world to show, show, forth, show forth his wisdom, What's weaker, what's more foolish than an infant, particularly in the womb, right? The less than, right? It's the least that will be the greatest. What does Christ say about those who would even do harm, spiritual harm or any kind of harm to a child? You can't even limit it. to. Ch he, and what, what does he say the kingdom of God consists of? The kingdom of God is such as these children, little children. Let the little children come to me. Suffer them to come unto me. They may come. They didn't... If they if 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 it was wrong for the apostles and the disciples to try to hold back children from coming to Christ, how much worse would it be if the disciples had killed those little children? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. We, we have to be extremely motivated by Christ's love for children. So when and by our father, by our, I mean, our father is our father. We forget that, right? The father God the Father is the Father. The person, the first person of the Trinity is the Father. The second person of the Trinity is the Son. I, I mean, abortion debate over. 
when when did Christ become Christ in terms of his humanity? At conception. When we when you when from Genesis to, Revel- to Revelation, and I'm gonna throw the number out, eight 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 nine nine five 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 two. You can tell I care about this a lot. I hope it comes through. But it's the love of Christ that constrains me to say we must do more. We must press on. We must do better. This is the vanguard of the Christianization of this nation. This is the beginning. It's not even the middle. Some would say we haven't even really begun. I don't want to live in an anti-Christian lands, and no Christian should want to. Why would you want that? Why would you want to live under Christ-hating laws, Christ-hating lawyers, Christ-hating courts, Christ-hating politicians, Christ-hating economists, <laughs> economics, Christ-hating economics. Why would you want that? Why would a Christian ever want that? And some, you know, we'll, we'll deal with Romans 13, right? Romans 13 is, is often thrown up as an objection. But what people forget about Romans, let's, in fact, let's do that right now, because I can already, it's almost like I can feel the Romans 13 objection coming. Uh, turn with me to Romans 13 in your copies of God's Word. Actually, I think I might have it already on my phone, but that's all right. And we'll start in verse 1, because this is where they like to start. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil." Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have the praise of the same. Excuse me, thou shalt have praise of the same. For he, that is the ruler, is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil." Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So I can't, I can't be subject to a ruler for conscience sake, for the sake of my conscience. I can't have a clean conscience where I subject myself to a ruler who's supposed to be a minister of God for the rewarding of the good and the punishing of the evil, who would say it's time for us or it's permissible we are allowed to murder babies in the womb or murder old people. Remember, we're talking more broadly about what, what it means to be pro-life. Or the destruction of fertilized eggs. That's conception. When an egg is fertilized by a sperm, that's conception. So that's a life. That's a human person. That's a life. We can't get rid of those things. So that's not trash. That can't be allowed to to be disposed of as if it's medical waste. That's just as wrong, biblically speaking, as disposing of a fetus like it's trash. And a fetus, again, is not a biblical term. And again, the Latin word fetus is, guess what? Baby. I I cut myself off because I wanted to deal with this Romans 13 thing. But earlier, what I was going to say is when we see the all through the scriptures, a woman is always only with child. She's never with fetus, with embryo, with zygote. She's only with child. So a child is a person. I would hope that everyone out there who's not a hard materialist, a real neo-Darwinian, would acknowledge that a child is a person. 
So if we acknowledge that and the scriptures only ever speak of women being with child, then that means that at any term, any point in the pregnancy, that is a child, which means it's a person. And that person is made in the image and likeness of God. Thou shalt not kill. Therefore, we can't kill it. There you go. That's it. How is this a debate? How do I hear professing believers saying there's some time after conception, but before birth, where abortion is reasonable? What? Those people need to be disciplined by their elders, by their session, by their church. That is a wicked thing to say. Human life begins at conception. When did Christ become a human person? You have to think back to the conception of the human nature of Jesus Christ, right? He's fully God. He's fully man. He's verily God, verily man. Truly God, truly man. We know this. He didn't become a man in, in a lessening of his divinity, and he didn't become God after, after being conceived. When did he become a person? If, if Christ became a person, we're heading up on a break. Remember to call 888-995-5552. And if Christ became a person at conception, then what, what kind of argument would you make where every other human life that's ever been conceived became a person later or some other time? When did Adam become a person? Adam is at his making, right? He's formed by hands, is what the text seems to imply, but he's formed by God anyway, and life is breathed into him. There's no gap. There's no, the scripture does not teach us anywhere of a, a person that, or a, a creature that's not yet a person, but will become one. That is an imposition on the text from the outside that's being forced into the Bible, and I don't care what scientists say, and I, even the even the anti-life people, the, the pro-murder people, they're now coming around to, yes, it's a person, and we can still murder it. We can still kill it. And we'll talk about arguments for that, if you like, as well. They actually make that argument. There's a book that was written by a feminist uh, around 1998-ish, maybe a little earlier, and she, she writes that uh, the imposition of on the mother is such that lethal force can be used to deliver her from that imposition let that let that marinate for a minute but it's good to hear from y'all it's good to be with y'all i hope uh someone will call if they want if not interact with us socials all that 888-995-5552 the mission of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. This is John MacArthur. Join me today for Portraits of Grace. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, he was stating a truth that has been especially dear to me since the early days of my theological education. 
I may never fully comprehend the depth of what it means to belong to Christ, but I will forever glory in it. Peter said, you're a people of, for God's own possession, which means God bought us with a price. Christians are uniquely God's because he paid the price to redeem us from the bondage of sin and death. Thus we are his, and since we are his eternally, we must live accordingly and rejoice in such a glorious privilege. This is John MacArthur encouraging you to live as portraits of grace. Ladies, welcome to Open My Eyes. I'm Lori Wilburn. Have you ever asked yourself, what does the world see in me? In 1 Peter 2.9, we read, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. It seems to me that the church today is living in FOMO, fear of missing out. We have embraced all the trappings of this momentary life, seeking to fit in rather than being set apart. We have forfeited our holy identities as God's people. Woman of God, let's not forget we have been chosen by God and for God. Let's live in such a way to bring Him glory, who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. To learn more, visit my blog at corechurchla.org. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Welcome back to Apologetics.com, challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe. The number to call and interact is 888-995-5552. We have various email addresses. Excellent. I have David from Mission Viejo. And let's see. Can you hear me, David? How are you tonight? Doing great. Or this morning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> good evening. Good morning. <laughs> It's great to have you calling. It's, uh, my little note here says that you'd like to weigh in on the conversation. I'd love to have you do that. Yeah, I um, in trying to do apologetics, you know, for people who want to call themselves pro-choice, um, they want to make the argument sometimes, you know, well, no, this is just tissue. It's just like you said, a a fetus. It's it's not really viable and all this and that. And I heard somebody say something once I thought would really help is the same thing a baby needs after they're born outside the womb and what they need inside the womb are exactly the same thing to grow time, air and food. Yeah, no, that's great. That's really good. And the scriptures are very explicit, right? The life is in the blood. So there's there's blood in the in the mom, there's blood in the child, and then there's obviously blood in the child outside of the womb as well. So we we have we have both nature and we have scripture reaffirming the same thing. And then I mean, if you want an even more kind of explicit one, we think of uh John the baptizer, John the Baptist in in Elizabeth's womb, right? Leaping for joy. That's right. So, when, you know, uh, he knew that Mary was there. That's right. Mary, um, Mary finished her greeting, and he leapt for joy. And, and, you know, I mean, what it says in Psalm 139 about 
you know, how God knits us together in the womb. And so I just like how you're, you know, just standing up for the sanctity of life. And, and you know, it's an interesting uh, contrast that you said, you know, that they're also fighting to, you know, euthanasia, to, to put people to death who are supposedly not valuable to society anymore. And, uh, you know, like you said, a culture of death rather than celebrating life, which is what God is all about. A hundred percent. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? That's our Savior. That's our that's our King. That's our Messiah. That's our Deliverer. He's the Redeemer who will save us and who will get us out of this horrible mess we've put ourselves in by becoming this awful civilization of death. He'll be the leader, the King, the ruler of the civilization of life that he's building in his church and in his world, right? Everything belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's no limitation to that. So this was a great call. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, just keep on doing the good work. Hey, we'd love to have you listen. Uh, This is our week, Branch of Hope's week. We do this once a month. Uh, Next month, it should be our regular host, Jason. We'd love to have you weigh in. And you don't have to stay up. You can listen to it online, apologetics.com, and you can get it through Apple Podcasts and all that great stuff. So, David, this was wonderful. Good to hear from you. Nice to meet you on the air, and uh, love to have you call again. Well, the reason I'm up so late is I'm actually doing security work all night long. So this is great. time for me to listen we love we love our shift workers our late shift cole's here we <laughs> hopefully he's Crazy enjoying hard. himself yep well i only have to be here an hour you guys have the hard work i get to go home that's right all right have a good night Pat. thank you god bless you all right, that was a great call, and he sort of anticipated one of the things I wanted us to get to, which is there is no limitation to this culture of death. He talked about a, a concept of like utility or usefulness, right? The value, if we, if we start ranking people by that, then you're inevitably going to be Hitlerian uh, in terms of your eugenicist outlook. You're inevitably going to have this lesser and greater hierarchical view such that some are more worthy of life than others, Some are more worthy of death than others. And this is why Christianity is the only answer to ableism as well, this idea that we can kill people because they are mentally handicapped, mentally disabled, in quotes. I'm doing air quotes in the the office here, in the studio, excuse me. Um, So, okay, no, of course not. Because I have bad news, if, if some of you don't realize this, we've all been disabled by sin. We just call people who are more disabled by the consequences of sin disabled for some reason. It's, it's again, it's that inherent uh, fallen arrogance that comes into us by way of our, our first parents falling into sin. We, we get this concept that we're – and I got this – this is not my own. This is from a reverend who the Lord took home to glory, a minister, a dear minister uh, from Northern Ireland named David Silversides, and I would commend his sermon – uh, abortion is it murder to you if you'd like to listen to more from this so i'm 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 <laughs> i am very blatantly taking this from him but this is th- this idea of where do we get off and i'm going to i'm going to amplify it i'm going to go harder than he did uh cuz he had more work to do in that in that brief discourse uh where do we get off thinking that we're you know not disabled that right that would be a denial of original sin that would be a denial of the fall of, of falling into sin and its consequences, right? Which we've talked about. So we can't do that. And this is why 
when I when I talked about earlier in the first segment about human life beginning at conception, how is it that the human nature of Jesus Christ was without sin? Because he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. He was formed and knitted in the womb by the whole his human nature was formed and knitted in the Holy in, by the Holy Ghost in the Virgin Mary's virgin womb. That so he wasn't descended from Adam like us. He's descended in a quite his human nature is descended in a quite interesting way from the Holy Ghost. And he's filled with the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit beyond measure, above measure, you know, fathomless, you know, immeasurably deep. He has the Spirit as to his humanity. Of course, he's, he was he was a, an holy thing is what our old and that is not a denial of his personhood. He was, you know, blob of tissue. This is not <laughs> he was a person who was conceived by the Holy Ghost. That's what, that's how he became holy as to his humanity. That's how he avoided original sin, original guilt and corruption, the corruption that stems and the sinning that flows from that. Right. We are sinners because we sin. Or are we? Do we sin because we're sinners? No, we sin because we're sinners, right? I, uh, Psalm fifty-one, verse five. That's another proof, by the way. So let's turn there. Psalm fifty-one, five. Some of you, a lot of you, probably have this memorized. Turn in your copies of God's Word. I'll use the phone so it's faster. Psalm fifty-one, five, and again, I apologize for not having video ready. We'll try to deal with that some other time. But behold, hear now the word of the Lord. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So he's already an I. First clause, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother, and he's a me, conceive me. That's personhood. If we deny personhood at conception, we have to deny a lot of the Bible. And I hope that's becoming clear as we roll through this hour, this very brief hour we have together. Remember, feel free to call 888-995-552. Don't worry if you're called, you're worried about your call being up to a certain standard. No, no, no. Anything you want to talk about related to this topic, not related to this topic. The worst you're going to get is, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll try to get it to you. That's probably the worst answer I can give you here on the air, but I certainly don't have the Bible memorized yet, and I don't know all things. Only God knows all things. So feel free to call, interact about this, interact about whatever you wish. But back to what we're talking about is if so David, the inspired psalmist there is saying, I and me in the womb. We talked about Elizabeth. Her child leaped in her womb. That's a that's something a person does. Globs of tissue or whatever don't leap in the womb and remember even our opponents and they are our enemies right they're enemies of christ here we love our enemies we love them we pray for them we long for their conversion i i know maybe i sound i don't want to ever sound angry here i want to sound zealous zealous for the truth of the lord i want to sound passionate but i also want to sound loving and i desperately love i deeply love these people because they are my enemies and i'm commanded to love my enemies so these my enemies even now admit and i alluded to this as we hit a hard break they admit that it's the killing of a person that it's the taking of a person's life and they're still fine with it they still celebrate it what are the what, what wicked things have we seen when uh when these horrific Late-term abortion laws have been passed. We see people celebrating, rejoicing. 
I'm going to close, not now, but when I do close, I'm going to close with what that looks like. Because Israel had a time, which is God's people. We are, we're, we are God's people now, and we're in this time. This, this maps, I think, pretty well onto what we're dealing with. And some of you will anticipate where I'm going. But you also should recall Molech, also known as Moloch. They burnt babies to death in sacrifice to him. Boiled them alive. Oh, well, so we're better because we chose a different method and because we're not sacrificing directly to Moloch, but we're sacrificing for convenience, for materialism, for our paychecks, for for going on a vacation. No, 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 no. We don't want to be a Molochian or Molechian type culture, do we? Do we want to be a culture of Baal? Baal? No, because God will destroy us. Just as he's destroyed all Baalic, <laughs> Baalist, Baalist cultures. What Baalist culture do you know that made it into this century before we started it back up again? Before we ran back the tape and said, you know, I, this whole, the Christians saving the babies we exposed. Oh, I don't like that. We should go back to exposing babies. Now, we know what exposing babies means, right? They would, they, if they couldn't murder them in the womb which they would try to do. There were different poisons that they used. When the baby was delivered, they just leave it out in the wilderness. And the Christians built hospitals and orphanages to save them. Christ saved us when we were worse than the helplessness of the most helpless babe, the most helpless infant. We were dead in our sins, in our trespasses, in our unrighteousness. That's when he saved us. We were dead. And we're not going to save the vulnerable, the weak, the lowly. Christ came for the lowly. Christ was lowly as to his estate here on earth. He didn't roll around, you know, with a deep crew and mobbed up and, you know, king mode and, and all the way through ruling and reigning the way that some carnal Jews expected him to, right? Some of his own people, I came to my people, they received me not. Some of the people that he came to who we now call Jews, and John often talks about the Jews in, in the book of John, they were expecting this conquering king, missing the fact that, of course, he's the conquering king because he's the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. How can the second person of the Trinity not be a conquering king? Now, I was reminded on, on the break as I was listening to John MacArthur Dr. MacArthur very helpfully reminding us that we're portraits of grace. Portraits of grace, by the way, that God paints in the womb. And then the gracious part, the real gracious part, is when we're born from above. Remember, that's the picture of our rebirth. We are born again. That's born from above in John. John 3, I believe. That's where we're at. Right. That's that's it's not just it's the language of the new birth regeneration. Well, generation is physical birth. Right. We're we generated. We just read about the book of generations. Genesis. We read about the generation of Adam who's made in the image and likeness of God. That's Adam five. Adam five. <laughs> that's Genesis five. Verse one. Woo. Coffee time. So what are we talking about? What are we talking about? We're talking about human dignity, human value. And therefore, of course, it's impossible that we could remove a person such as that from the face of the earth. But I was saying earlier that I was reminded of the need to go to a passage 
that speaks to this in the sense of we can't we again i i don't want you to know my words i I don't want to speak any of my own words my prayer for this show is that i only ever speak the words of christ and that christ speaks through me and that you hear him rather than hear me that you hear his word rather than you hear my words that you hear his love for sinners rather than anything else right that's what that's the goal of this show that's the goal of the faith we're defending the faith we're defending is for everyone we want everyone to believe whosoever calleth upon the name of the lord will be saved must be saved and can only be saved whosoever will call on the name of jesus will be saved that's what we're about. That's what apologetics is. Now, obviously, we're talking about polemics, too, right? We attack the unbelieving worldview precisely because it's pitting itself against the gospel. It's pitting itself against the Word of God. And there's the person who's the Word of God, and there's the book that's the Word of God. There's the incarnate Word of God and the inscripturated Word of God. And we have to defend both. If you're not defending the 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 faith of jesus christ himself what jesus believed and what jesus continues to believe you're not you're not defending the faith right there's many times where it talks about the faith of jesus the god that's god's gospel it doesn't belong to man it's for us it's to save us but it belongs to god just like everything else right the earth and the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof so i want you to i want us to go back to just war and just taking of human life, because I think that's an that's an apologetic that you need to have in place. Remember, we looked earlier at what God's ministers in the states, in the civil government, are to do. They're to punish evil, reward good. They're to use the sword. The sword is not for wounding. The sword was a method of killing. You killed with the sword. Remember, the disciples, he asked them how many swords they have, how many weapons. It is enough. He doesn't say get rid of your weapons. There, you have to buy a sword. Do we remember that text? That's a text that uh, people don't like. But they don't like this text either. Turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Psalm 144, verse 1. Blessed be the Lord. That's Jehovah, the covenant name of the Lord. Hear now the Word of God. Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. It goes on talking about how God is our fortress, our high tower, our deliverer, our shield, and who subdueth his people, this is a psalm of David, under him. So if we remember what David did, David did go out to war. And in fact, David got in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble, and and the people that he ruled over through him got in a lot of trouble when he wasn't out at war when he was supposed to be. He was doing stuff he wasn't supposed to be doing. He was supposed to be out there leading his men. And remember who the true Davidic king is. Who does, who does David point to? David anticipates. David is a prophetic painting portrait, to borrow from Dr. MacArthur again, of, that's right, Jesus, our king. And our king is at war against his enemies. Remember, spiritual warfare. It's not spiritual uh retreat spiritual uh (laughs) i don't know abdication of force right it's spiritual warfare that's what we're doing and yes our weapons are not carnal but we just talked about how sore that doesn't mean that we don't get any weapons right you can't defend your body without weapons at least i don't know how right 
even when you train in martial arts like I've been blessed to do, you make your body into a weapon. So there's a righteous use of force. It's clear from the scriptures. Just look at Israel's relation to the Canaanites. Just look at Israel's relations to all of the unbelieving and wicked peoples in the Old Testament. Look at what God says. Look at what God commands. Then look in the New Testament and realize none of that is ever overturned or contradicted. God doesn't say, oh, yeah, no, we don't do that anymore. That's not what it means for our our battle to be spiritual. Because, of course, their battle was spiritual as well. What made those people so wicked was spiritual wickedness. It wasn't some physical wickedness. Right there, one of the kings is so evil. He's called Lucifer. It's also in Isaiah. And and it, it, to me, it seems clear that the devil is being addressed in that king. So yes, the king's being addressed, but the devil is also being addressed. But we see this everywhere, right? We see this righteous use of force versus unrighteous use of force. So remember that. Know your Bible. Pray. Have the Holy Ghost teach you this doctrine about what it means to take life unrighteously, unjustly, and when it becomes necessary. God forbid. We never want to, right? Jesus is the king of peace. He's the king of Salem. He's the king of Shalom. That's him. He's the prince of peace. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. However, we have to be about our father's business. We have to serve him as loyal subjects. He's our king. He's given us our marching orders. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use the sword of the spirit, because remember, we're not, unless if you're civil magistrates, then we'll talk about the physical sword we talked about earlier. And I'd love to call in civil magistrates, any governors, any any officers of the state call uh but what we need to do spiritually is to use the sword of the spirit given to us, the word of God, in the conquering of the nations, in the in the fulfilling of the Great Commission. That's that's what it means to to disciple the nations, to teach them. What are you teaching them? Of course, whatsoever I, that being Christ, have commanded you. That's what we teach. And it's because he's given because he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority everywhere. And then he says that's that's the guarantee that we will fulfill the Great Commission. That's the guarantee that we will win. Now, I can't say whether America will be around. I can't say whether this country or that country, China, will be around. But I know that what God does is he sets up princes and takes them down. Just a short time ago, little over a month ago or so, people thought, would have thought it was unimaginable even this much progress towards the establishment of a pro-God, pro-life, pro-family civilization. There were people who were despairing. There were people who were utterly convinced that the pro-life movement just had to soldier on and continue to fail and da-da-da-da. So yes, do I, do I say it's incremental progress? I do. I, I think it's incremental. I think it's it's a step in the right direction is the way my mom and I were describing it. She the, Give her credit for that. I think that's true. It's a step in the right direction. Because what we had before was so unimaginably horrible, right? So now we're – and I, I in, in conversation with others, what I try to stress is the real victors here are the, are the states, the governments, who are saying, no, no more. We're shutting it down. This isn't happening anymore. No more baby murder. Not in this state, right? Very quickly, 19. There were laws that triggered very quickly 19 states, and then that, that's just gone up from there. Thank God. Praise God. Those are real victories because they had laws on the books ready to go. If anything happened to Roe, boom, 
No more abortion. No more baby murder. And that is what we need to be laboring towards. You cannot kill the image and likeness of God without sufficient cause or reason. There is no proactive murder of the image and likeness of God. Because if you do that, then you're going to fall under what we see happens after the flood. Remember what remember with the flood what happens? The world is very very wicked, right? And God judges the entire world but for eight. Noah, his wife, his sons, their wives, right? That's it. That's it. Everybody else, all other, every, and nothing that was, and of course the animals that they were commanded to put there, and the plants that they were commanded to put there, which is by inference, whatever they were put on the ark, everything else gone, wiped out, because that's how wicked the world got. Now, what we see after that is God in his mercy, he then just does that to individual peoples. But what what I think people think the coming of Christ did is it took away somehow the justice of God. What we read in the New Testament is actually it's worse if you are the enemy of Jesus Christ. It's worse for you. You do not want to trample the blood of the covenant underfoot. Read the entire book of Hebrews. The entire book of Hebrews will fix any view that you might have where you think, you know what? I think God has changed. Now, first of all, the Lord himself, he says, I am the Lord, I changeth not. It's called divine immutability, right? Unchangeableness. There is no variableness nor shadow nor shadow of turning in God. That's the New Testament, for those of you who are still working on Old Testament, New Testament problems. We can talk about that as well. But what we want to look at right now is, if you have your copies of God's Word still, I hope you do, or look it up later, Genesis 9 and verse 1. And remember, you're, you're going to hear this is very familiar to what we read in segment 1 about Adam. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Pause. There, again, is the dominion mandate. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now replenish it and be fruitful and multiply. By the way, how are you fruitful and multiply? By the bearing of children. We're commanded to be fruitful and multiply. We're commanded to bear children. The woman will be saved in childbearing. Child rearing, child bearing, depending on who you talk to. But the woman will be saved through childbirth. Eve, you know, is the mother of all living. And then what do you see with Mary? Mary gives birth to the second Adam, the last Adam, the one who comes to deal with Adam's fall, the one who doesn't fall, the one who perfectly keeps every commandment of his father. And he does that for you if you're one of his own. Anyway, verse 2, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Goes on to talk about every living thing and moving thing will be food for you, meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, there it is, life is in the, with the life, which is the blood thereof, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. The life is in the blood. Verse four, verse five, and surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image 
image of God made he man. So this is what it means for the civil magistrate to bear the sword. And of course, I'm running out of time, and it's been great to be with you. 888-995-552. Remember, remember always to call, to engage with us, to follow us, to keep listening to us, and remember always to keep the faith.